Hey everybody, I'm Nick Davis. Welcome to Simply Not Easy, the podcast about simple action steps to improve the journey of your life as I work to improve the journey of my own. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to Simply Not Easy. Hope everybody's having a great day out there. We're here on a workout Wednesday. And first of all, I want to say congratulations to the USA women's soccer team. Uh, great win yesterday over England. Uh, definitely a tough one. Definitely duking it out pretty well. We had a couple players, uh, key players, that were not able to um, start or play for the game. But, you know, the team rally, we made it happen. Had some uh, really good shots, some really good saves by the keeper, and really good team play overall. So definitely a lot to be proud of as a team and as a nation for them. So as we keep going forward, workout Wednesday now. What we're talking about today is, again, kind of in theme with this whole uh, soccer, high-level sport, getting ready for it. We're talking about not just sport-specific movement, but gearing up with the prerequisites for sport and for training that way. And what does it look like? And what's the difference between, hey, are there conventional um, lifting styles? And how does that translate to sport? And what do you need to do? Not only to be like, okay, sweet, I'm ready now. I'm all of a sudden ready for doing, uh, you know, high-level sport, um, or, uh, fast speed sports lifts to what's the baseline getting in there. Um, we, right now in the clinic, I'm treating a young woman. She is, um, we'll just say, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I won't say the age, but entering her sophomore season of either her sophomore or junior season, I think sophomore season of college. She's playing, uh, tennis, I believe, Division three might might be a lower level division one, but anyways, um, important but not essentially competitive. But anyways, she's got a torn labrum. I'm uh, working with her um, pre-operation, and then we'll probably work her post-op as well in there. But I mean, she was even talking to me the other day about how you know their uh, coaching staff was having them do hang cleans, and she was just saying how it was completely killing her when she was doing that. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right because you don't have that prerequisite shoulder range of motion, that internal range to even hang in that start position without a weight in. So then you add, so let's say, okay, I've got incomplete movement pattern, incomplete position. Uh, Then what's the best idea to do from that? Oh yeah, let's, let's add, let's add a bunch of weight. Let's add, you know, 50 pounds for her far plus, you know, 60 pounds and then do it. So yeah, if you can't do it with no weight, then let's add a bunch of weight and have you do that. So yeah, no wonder she's uh, got some irritation, some issues. But again, this is a common mistake that we see time and time again about, you know, not necessarily progressing too far, too fast, but not progressing the right way. So oftentimes in sports and prerequisite um, strength and everything, you, we hear about these, oh, these are these are strength, these are sports-specific um, training exercises, things that we can do to help get you ready for high-level sport explosive activity like a hand clean or a power clean or all the way going up to a snatch or a clean jerk. But the issue that happens with these is that we don't ramp up, we don't appropriately develop the range of motion required to not only get into these positions at all, but once we have the range into those positions, do we actually have we built up the control yet to be able to get there? So, for example, if I have an athlete of mine that is learning to clean, but they can't properly do a front squat. I'm not talking about perfection, right? Because, you know, there is, there's ideal, 
and there's, okay, what is permissible to start with and continue to work on and continue to perfect and get better over time. That is within a safe anatomical uh, biomechanic range for that individual as they're going about their routine. And so those two things can look, um, we'll just say very different. For example, I've had some clients I've worked with in the past for personal training where does their front squat look amazing? No, they, they, they're lacking a certain depth to it. Honestly, I'm lacking that very end range of depth to my front squat too, um, currently, and that's something that I'm work, working on and will continue to work on. But they can hold that position, they can hold that front rack position, they can be calm, controlled through that area. So then this translates to, okay, if I want to get more dynamic movement going, I'm gonna start with some cleans for them. Um, I love doing, it's probably the animal in me a little bit. Um, tough, tough pairing, but I love do. I love grouping a clean and jerk exercise with kettlebell swings. Fantastic superset to have. Um, obviously not maxing out. You want the heart rate pumping, full body dynamic exercises, but it's a, it's an absolute fantastic workout. And one of those that I like doing a lot, getting ready for obstacle course races for sure. But anyways, not to go on too much of a side tangent with that one. It's important to build things up over time. And we can talk about this very specific example of a front squat to a clean, but here's the principle we're trying to get at. The front squat is a, is a shape, it's that front rack position. And through that front rack position, what we are able to do is we are able to control the speed, control the rate, do holds. It doesn't require a fast, explosive movement. It's a position, it's a movement that occurs over time. It occurs as you translate isometrically, concentrically, essentially through different muscle groups throughout the range of a front squat that you can control the speed. Whereas ideally for a either a hang clean or a power clean, power clean just having a little bit more range involved, a little bit more dynamic activity involved with it, there is much more of a explosive movement that goes through the area, that goes throughout the entire body. And that can uh, for lack of better words, we'll say complicate things. It can make it um, more moving pieces involved and that much more of a prerequisite reason to be really focused on that. I mean, we can talk about, kind of talking about those kettlebell swings we were doing, we can talk about a very similar thing where I might have somebody sit with kettlebell swings, but it would be a crime to do that for them if we haven't developed a proper hip hinge technique, a proper kind of um, well, let's keep it calling it a hip hinge deadlift um, first position through that. So as we're doing that, as we work to develop their proper hip hinge stabilization and everything, then we can build the um, kettlebell swings and more dynamic activity off of that more firm, um, firm foundation. And there's a baseline going forward for that as opposed to just, no, let's, uh, let's swing this thing around a little bit and let's uh, try to mostly coordinate it from there. So it's really important, especially for athletes, where once athletes kind of get that kind of click, go ahead in their mind, the okay from the coach, they're going, they're going, they're really trying to push themselves. So it's important that sometimes for, for certain athletes, they need to be pushed and challenged. For certain athletes, they actually need to be slowed down just a tiny bit, and but only not slowed down and babied, but slowed down only to the extent that it allows them to do the movement properly and to have the prerequisites available to do so for themselves. And so again, this is taking these concepts a step higher. Typically, you know, in the past, we'd be talking about, okay, do you have, here's the position you need to get in, aka those early level exercises like the front squat or front rack position. 
and then also um, be in a hip hinge or deadlift type position. These, and you know, saying that, okay, these right here, these are the positions you need to get into. Do you have the prerequisite range of motion to achieve these? And that's gonna be your first question and answer. If you have the range of motion, then you should be able to do this. If you don't have the range of motion, but you keep attempting it, there is some compensation. There, al there always will be a compensation that can occur. That you have to ask yourself, what degree of compensation am I willing to allow as an athlete, as a coach, and as um, potentially a healthcare practitioner in that area? And then if I'm allowing some degree of compensation, then based on that, okay, what's my, what's my plan, what's my game plan for improving that along the way? Because I think that compensation actually gets a bit of a bad rep. Um, and well, I'll be honest, for a good reason, it gets a bad rep for a while. However, the, main, the reason why I think it's not always a good idea to say, oh, there's a compensation, there's a compensation, let's get rid of it. People are looking for stability. Why do they compensate? They're, they compensate because they are looking for a solution. So they're looking for a solution, and they've got a somewhat, they've got a subpar movement pattern, we'll say. But yet, they're like four legs of a chair or four legs of a stool. If you take one of those legs out and it's, you know, okay, so we, I got rid of their compensation pattern, but there's still three legs there and not a fourth, and you haven't given them any other strategies that they can fully integrate yet to help them with that, then guess what? All you have managed to do is say, all right, let me get rid of this compensation pattern, this clinical pattern I see, by taking away one of your legs, basically one of the legs of the stool. Other from there, once you take that away, they've got less stability. They've got less stability, they end up having more irritation, more pain than ever before. So you might have been doing kind of quote unquote, the typical what we've learned in education spectrum as the right thing by getting rid of a compensation mechanism. But it's important to, anytime you take away a compensation mechanism, fully introduce a strong neuromuscular re-education to have a better, a better pattern of movement, a better stabilization, whatever you want to go ahead and call this, that, or the other thing that you happen to be working on that day. But again, getting rid of the compensation, you've got to replace it. It's not truly erasing or eradicating, it's replacing it with a better movement. So that's what we have to think about. We have to think about, hey, what's the movement I'm current, currently doing? And how does that relate to what I need to be doing? And let's bridge that gap. So let's kind of blend them together and see what's the best possible solution that we can all come up with. So thank you everybody for tuning in. This was a fantastic episode. Really enjoyed talking to y'all. Again, it's not just about what's the range of motion required for these positions. But once I get in these positions in that area, okay, what is the position? What does the position require? For me to be able to move at speeds, move with explosive power. Again, in that direction of still having a really solid finish position and start position along the way. All right, everybody. Simply not easy.